Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every goal, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Monday night edition of the pod. Things settling down just a little bit with only two games, but we also have a lot of news that's piled up. We got to talk about uh, this coaching news, a lot of other stuff uh, as well. Brought to you today by SeatGeek. Use that cap space code to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. But let's start with Miami and Philadelphia and what did you pick this series in, by the way? I, I forgot. The seven? Sixers and okay. seven, yes. And I think this game was a good reflection of why I felt that way. I mean, Miami's defense was spectacular overall. A couple of stats on that that I thought were striking. One, Miami had 27 deflections in this game, which is a very, very high amount. They ended up getting off of those 27 deflections. Just eight steals, but really getting this the Sixers out of it and def- and also they contested 65 shots and if you want to compare that that was more than the Sixers did the, the Sixers contested 58 and I just thought even those two things didn't reflect the activity Justice Winslow was huge in this game but I thought that was the real beyond Dwayne Wade which we'll talk about of course at length that was the real linchpin for me of like okay this is how Miami can do it yeah in both of the games today I think there was an argument that yeah, I, I, well, I wouldn't say it. I would say that the Heat outplayed the Sixers for sure. But you could make the argument that the Spurs outplayed the Warriors. Certainly they did in the first half. But so much of it came down to making shots. Even Greg Popovich was talking about that in his postgamer. And for Philly, at one point, they were 3 out of 21 from 3. They finished the night 7 out of 36 from three-point range. J.J. Redick was 1 out of 7. Marco Bellinelli was 2 out of 8. And now Marco, I mean, it was about time for him to cool off a little bit because he was hitting some completely ridiculous shots and and getting a little shot happy. Like there was one key possession late when they were down six where he just took a horrendous three at the top of the key. J.J. Redick is standing 10 feet away from him, wide open, and just with his hands up like beside himself that he didn't get the ball. And then they got the offensive rebound and tried to throw it back to J.J. Redick and just threw it at his feet and, and he never got the ball. But that that was actually, I thought, the key offensive possession where they could have cut it to three. Um, also, that Wade steal down the end was huge too. I think it was a four-point game at that point and he knocked it away, went down, ended up going down for a dunk and, and he, of course, was great. I thought as much defensively, well, I shouldn't say as much, but he was improved as much defensively as he was offensively. He had some deflections, he had some steals, had some plays protecting the rim as a help defender which we still even at 36 he's able to do that um and Miami you know they didn't shoot incredibly from three I mean both teams were out of their minds from three especially the Sixers that 18 out of 28 in game one uh 
but nine out of 25 was good enough and I thought the other thing that I really appreciated was just the level of pressure that Miami brought particularly uh, on Ben Simmons yeah I thought that in game one the heat broadly gave Simmons too much space especially when you consider that there were fewer options for them on the floor without Joel Embiid being available and yeah they had way better spacing in the second half Miami adjusted to that I think better in this game than they did but yeah Winslow in particular picking up Simmons yeah. oftentimes he, from he's easily their best it, guy on him absolutely and he's strong aggressive does a, does a wonderful job and I want to see who starts for Miami in game three I think that'll be significant and I'm not completely sure Winslow can do that for 30 to 34 minutes but even if it's in the high 20s it makes a massive difference and for Simmons getting into his body just like any other player first of all it takes time off the shot clock because you have to pay attention to that Simmons isn't he is still isn't the greatest battler through those kind of circumstances but you narrow his frame of vision and that's not only through physical ob- uh, like occupying space it's also by occupying his attention and so he isn't scanning the floor as much because he needs to make sure that he can get past the guy get across to not get an eight second violation i thought you could see the impact of that on simmons even on possessions where he got across and all that kind of stuff i i, I thought it, it it did wear him down a little bit and simmons still ended up with a good statistical game but it was meaningfully different to me they also i thought put josh richardson more on shooters i the, the matchup data isn't available yet but i did not think richardson defended uh nearly as much on simmons as he had before but richardson doesn't quite have the heft on simmons that you might want uh and simmons was very effective when he wasn't guarded by winslow by the way i thought uh, james johnson uh, bob vulgaris was talking about this was kind of laying off a little bit too much and letting Simmons get in the lane where he has really improved his finishing he's using his hands to get good extension on his right-handed layups he he had a couple of plays where he was able to just bring the ball back around the defender with his right hand show some great touch uh, on euro steps as well so he's really uh, that's been we've talked a lot about the things that he's improved and that's one of them so i mean he had a really nice offensive game he was 10 out of 17 24 points eight assists a lot of that was in transition to and miami it, it was funny because they were supposed to and this is more off of misses you know in, in an odd man situation where you could tell they were supposed to be loading to him and just they kind of did it but it still wasn't enough because i mean he's getting close to the levels of uh, someone like a lebron or maybe a, a westbrook or a rose or tony parker back in the day i mean a little bit to, those are all different players but where if you just have a guard back that's not good enough like you need to have someone or either two guys who are both loaded right to him uh without letting him get ahead of steam or you got to have a big guy back there uh, under the rim um Dragic got into early foul trouble he was emphasized more but ended up with 20 points had a nice offensive game but him only playing 25 minutes he basically was staggered with Wade most of the way um and they went to some lineups with Wade at at point guard Tyler Johnson did not play much Uh, I think he got the Keith Bogans he only played 14 minutes uh Whiteside only played 15 and so what it meant was I mean even Wade has a lot more force still than Dragic when he wants to bring in defensively that there weren't the weak links out there for the heat uh and I thought the the key stretch here too is not quite in sequence to my earlier point but in general especially in the third quarter I felt like they really up up the pressure same thing in the second but the key stretch to me Philly led it 29-22 after one And then it was a 34-13 second quarter for the Heat. But I thought the key stretch was Philly got some pretty good looks when they went back to Whiteside to match up with Amir Johnson early in the second. And 
Immediately, they bring Redick off a screen, get an open three. Sharic had plenty of looks. Ilyasova had a look during that period. And they didn't go down. And then all of a sudden, Miami really started upping the intensity, pressuring Simmons in the backcourt. That's when uh, Winslow was in. Simmons does not want to like make a V cut to get open in the backcourt. Uh, and so then they really upped the pressure. And all of a sudden, halfway through the quarter, they only had two points. And uh, in that same quarter, Dwayne Wade went absolutely nuts. Yeah, I mean, he he had his mid ranger going, which is generally something you see with Wade. It, he finished three for four in the restricted area, but seven seven for eight from mid-range and I believe all seven of his makes were consecutive and he missed his last one there and you know the, Wade can have those those really wonderful games I've been more impressed with his renewed defensive effort this was something we saw a little bit last year in the first round especially before the wheels started kind of coming off for the Bulls but he was dominant in this game he had a lot of big plays late including a really nice assist also had that had that steal where he just popped the ball out I'm tr- that wasn't on Simmons I'm trying to remember who that was on yeah it was someone who but, was like a, a big who was like handling the ball at the elbow or something but yeah yeah we, we, we talked about that yeah. at the end yeah it might have been Ilya so might have been Ilya yeah. Silva well and Wade I mean we had suggested or maybe it was just me that one thing they might do to try to juice the offense is try and go at him with some matchup basketball against a Redick or against a Bellinelli and and Wade early on you know I think he got his first bucket on a fast break against Reddick just kind of going right through him then he had a fade away uh, over Bellinelli and, and he wasn't getting gr- the greatest shots here I mean there a lot of they were going in but you know they weren't well contested because a lot of times they didn't have their best guys on him and I still think he could be more effective by really bullying into the post and then trying to make some plays out of that because these mid-rangers guess what he's not going to go seven for eight for mid-range as you mentioned next game and uh, uh Miami hands fans had some fun with me because I said hey you know what Wade's killing these bad defenders but then when he gets someone like Simmons out of him he's got little chance and little chance doesn't mean no chance and he hit that big shot at the end to totally ice it under a minute put them up eight uh, which was just an awful fadeaway with nine on the shot clock for no reason I don't know why he didn't run the time down more uh but so uh, you know have your fun miami fans uh if he takes uh 40 more of those shots in the series uh, you're not winning the series so um you know that's a 35 percent shot at best but you know for for this game wade had it i mean and you know you think he's gonna cool off but uh you know i'm sure charlotte hornets fans felt that in the 2016 first round yeah that's true i i admit that i hadn't remembered as much about that series until you brought up but yeah that was certainly an element of this and with miami joel and did not play in this game actually might as well use this to to catch up a little bit on that Embiid is out of the concussion protocol but he hasn't gone through a lot of the kind of the physical work because he's been going through the concussion protocol so the Sixers kept him out of this game he had a expletive included Instagram post after the game basically saying they didn't want to be babied but also told Ramona Shelburne that and this is his quote I promised the city the playoffs and I'm not on the court and I might not be on Thursday either I wish more than anything that I was out there. I just want the green light to play. And for me, the most interesting part of that is the idea that it's not necessarily a temporary condition yeah. and he might have to make Well, you months. you figure if they had won this game, he definitely was going to play on Thursday. Um, but maybe that'll change. We don't know what he's been able to do be- behind the scenes as far as maintaining his conditioning or, or anything like that. Um, for Philly, 
Robert Covington just could not hit a shot. He was one out of nine. He took some really bad shots too. I mean, he wasn't exactly like, you know, I get it if you want to shoot your way out of it, but, and you shouldn't pass up open shots, but man, uh, did he, uh, he really, uh, there was one in the fourth, at the, his last three in the fourth quarter was just awful. I don't think he even hit rim, totally contested 25 feet behind the line. Uh, and then I thought the game of Ursan Ilyasova was really outstanding. I mean, he is such an underrated defensive player because he looks like this slow white guy um but you know he really was executing very well their pick and pop coverage on Olenek and then I thought uh the Heat were able to counter as Dylan Murphy was tweeting about by having him roll to the basket more because uh they were really um prepared for Olenek's pick and pop and, and cheating over on that so Olenek rolled to the basket he missed a floater and then that's when they ended up getting tangled up with Sharich on that play uh Sharich was three out of ten on his own three-pointers and then uh that laser pass you talked about to james johnson as a role man from wade which i thought was such a huge hoop for them um what else do you want to talk about this from this one james johnson was seven out of seven that was pretty good two out of two from three yeah i I think one other thing i want to mention i mean you you did the top line number with the sixers seven out of 36 from three but everyone struggled this was not a night and and last game everyone was awesome we talked about how nobody was below 50 Mm percent last game yeah and so three out of ten from charge one out of nine from Covington, one out of seven from Murdoch, two out of eight from Bellinelli. And so shifting that a little bit back totally changes the tenor of this game. And also something significant, there were moments where it looked like the Sixers turnovers could get out of control, but I thought eventually they they kind of, they settled down for most of the game. They had a couple late and, you know, 14 turnovers, eight steals, especially off of the deflections. I talked about that at the outside. I think it was 27 for yeah. Miami. I think you live with that. I, 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 you would love for that number to be a little bit lower, but especially like some of the ones that charge had i thought i thought could have been avoided and you know bellinelli has some shots that kind of should be turnovers instead of shots but i think if they can do 14 turnovers a game for the rest of the series it won't be enough to sink them yeah you that was something that you had emphasized at the start was how much they're going to turn it over and then we talked about the bad shooting luck for philly well there's that great mid-range shooting for miami right i mean they were wade was seven of eight 15 out of 26 overall on twos outside of the paint did not really get to the rim very much not a ton of threes so it's not like miami's offense was awesome in this one you know i think philly still defended them well but and if a few they only lost by 10 and it was closer than that at the end so if a few more of those mid-rangers rim out and philly hits like two more threes they win this game anyway you know i mean i i think they clearly are still the more talented team even without Joel Embiid and, and gosh his coming back would totally change the series you'd imagine but it's hard to say that he would be on full minutes you would think when he first returns and so I, I still feel fine about Philly in this one I think Miami is going to make it a tough series they play really intensely Spo is going to continue to have some really interesting decisions to make right because you know if you go with Dragic and Wade and then you're going to put Whiteside out there too though it looks like Whiteside at least until Embiid comes back is going to be you know 15 minutes a game in the series under 20 to be sure sure you know now your defense is a little compromised and to me i think it's not like they score that well anyway even with those guys out there so it's like why not just be who you are and lock down philly and just make it a total rock fight um you know i think Dragic obviously needs to play but you know having it's going to be a tough decision of like is, is it going to be here wait because you don't necessarily need both of those guys um yeah well and that ties in with the other complicated decision for me here which is what do you do with wayne ellington because yeah. he didn't hit a ton of shots in this game but i think ellington unlocks a lot of what they do offensively 
in a, in a way kind of paralleling what Whiteside does. And, or, sorry, not Whiteside, Olenek, wrong guy. Um, And they'll have to kind of square that and pick their identity. And it's the, again, it's the same choice. But also, I don't think Miami has the defensive personnel just because of all these, you know, more one-way players uh, to do it all 48. So I think they'll probably want to go into a couple of different identities through the course of the game, but just be consistent with that identity. Don't try to mix it up too much. Also interesting was Marco Fultz only played five minutes in this one. Um, was 0 for 3, though, one of those. Uh, he had a, a acrobatic reverse layup that missed. He had to take a late clock jumper that air balled. I didn't think that he was particularly bad, uh, but I think because they were down, they went with Ben Simmons 39 minutes and... You know, there's this idea that Simmons and Fultz can't be on the court together, although, you know, Bob Vilgera said, hey, he's willing to play McConnell and Simmons together, although McConnell at least can space out to three and uh, shoot a corner three, which Fultz isn't even willing to do. Um, and for Miami, I mean, D. Wade was plus 16. He had 28 points on 11 of 16. Also got to the foul line a couple times as well. And then, you know, Linick was plus 11 and Winslow was plus eight he only played 21 minutes though so I mean if you're gonna play Winslow then you probably you know you can't really play Ellington and, and you know Tyler Johnson is probably really gonna be the odd man out here as we go forward Josh Richardson is always gonna be out there James Johnson is always gonna be out there so you've got two guys you know who play with some force but Winslow is the guy who really changes that pressure defense you know who really makes that happen um and, and Philly did do one time where they uh set a cool back screen to get Simmons full court for a dunk off of an inbounds but overall i thought the pressure was successful so maybe winslow needs to play more even if you know he was a, a mere one out of five and then it, you got to just go to more wade and uh attack philly who really they seem to want to play reddick and bellinelli together and so if those two guys are on the floor wade can have a place to eat um but you know i, I still feel like philly and they're gonna have to hit some shots obviously but they still feel like they're in control of this series to me this was a heroic effort from the heat but it didn't feel like the effort of a team that's like now taking control of the series yeah i would agree with that i mean this feels more to me like a you know a team has a has a rough night and gets closer to winning than maybe they should have and one other quick thing i want to mention is that yes philadelphia missed 56 shots in this game but they got 17 offensive rebounds i thought Ilyasova was at more active than i expected in that and they really weren't getting killed in transition offense by Miami and so I think it was kind of a mix of gambling when the opportunity was there but also just knowing picking their spots and I don't think that's going to be a story necessarily in the rest of the series but I did want to make a note of it in case it, I end up being wrong last thing on this game it, Simmons did have some spectacular transition plays but overall, Miami actually outplayed Philly in transition. Philly was actually below average in terms of their transition scoring in this game. In large part, I think due to a lot of the missed threes, you know. So, so maybe it's not fair. They still uh, were able to run on thirty-one percent of defensive rebounds, but they like to run for threes quite a bit. And with the threes being way off, uh, their points per possession in transition were pretty low. So again, I mean, it's just when a team shoots this badly from three, it's hard to take much out of it. And that's a good way to transition to the poor San Antonio Spurs, who hit even worse than the Sixers did, fourteen. 0.3% of their threes, four out of 28, and they had some really, really nice looks. Uh I thought uh, Patty Mills managed three of nine. He had some late. Uh, so that made the rest of the team one out of 19 <laughs> from downtown and uh, really struggled despite, I thought, getting some some pretty good looks. I thought that their offense was much, much better. I thought their defense was much better. Um, it just 
the Warriors had awesome shot makers on their team and uh, with Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant and Andre Iguodala going four or five from three and that was uh, enough when it, it would you agree with me that San Antonio kind of outplayed Golden State in this one for the most part definitely in the first half after that it got a little bit dicier because one of the big shifts that happened early in this game was Draymond picking up two early fouls he I think it was around 10 46 he picked up his second foul they kept him in for a couple for a minute and a half I think until they brought in Looney and that short-circuited a lot of the Warriors offense to me because they largely kept the they didn't keep the rules the same but they just didn't have as many options they, the ball couldn't go as many places and at that point nobody else other than Durant was really making many shots and so the Spurs were really able to capitalize on something they even did when Draymond was in the game which was reducing the amount of space that Kevin Durant had to work with other than a few plays plays where Rudy Gay just didn't get close enough on him in transition by helping off of the guys that they weren't as scared of. And I thought Looney was that guy for a portion of the game. Draymond was for other portions. And, you know, they got burned a little bit on that big with all of those, some of his were on, on kind of garbled plays. The problem for the Spurs in that way was that Kevin Durant is still an amazing scorer and was able to have an effective night despite that reduced space and doing a lot of his damage in isolation. Yep, isolation, high pick and roll. Um, they did go with Danny Green on him a, a, a little bit more, but generally, I mean, these were they had some breakdowns on the threes. I mean, Golden State was 15 out of or of 31 on threes, so that, that was awesome. And then they're 14 out of 25 on long twos. I mean, this is just an unbelievable jump shooting team when you get the ball into the right hands. And then when someone like Iguodala goes four or five, you know, you're really in trouble. They're 11 out of 22 uh, above the break uh, were the Warriors. And for me, the Spurs D was better because they weren't switching nearly as much um, uh, off the ball, and and you know that allowed thompson to get off a little bit more he he got up more shot attempts 20 this time although a lot of him w- was going into the post uh but they held golden state to only 16 shots at the rim you know i mean that was, that's really outstanding the only problem is the spurs for their part only got 22 shots at the rim now they made a fair amount of them but the, that wasn't a very good amount i mean that basically would be like a worst in the league type of level and for a lot of the game they hadn't even gotten that many they got more at the rim late when manu had some drives and, and aldridge had some post-ups um why do you think Aldridge is able to be successful in this game? He had 34 points when he wasn't in game one. A couple of different things. One, I think he just was more aggressive and that involved getting into better position. And he also wasn't as scared. For whatever reason, I think JaVale McGee got into his head a little bit with a couple of blocks and contests early in that game. It was weird. He still had a, a solid one. And also getting, you know, Kavon Looney on him for some other stretches. I think Looney cannot guard Aldridge. He also cannot guard Patty Mills on a switch he also cannot guard Manu Ginobili on a switch but yeah there but were quick aside on, on thought- Looney this playing him over Jordan Bell has got to stop and maybe Looney you know he's not going to screw up as much whatever he just can't hang physically against the Rockets like there's no way he can't switch on any of their guards he's not going to be good enough in conventional pick and roll defense uh you know he's not gonna be able to play in that series if they want to put him at center and have him be the mobile switch center like it's just not gonna work and so yeah you know what maybe jordan bell isn't ready maybe looney is better to play more conservatively against the spurs you you better get jordan bell ready to play because they are gonna need him in that rocket series looney is not gonna cut it anyway continue please i figured we weren't gonna bring up looney again so i might as well break it there sure yeah i I also thought that aldridge got into a decent rhythm against david west and that was kind of 
true in both games, but I, I he got into that, and for whatever reason, today seemed like the first time that I can remember, anecdotally, that Aldridge had enough confidence going into the fourth quarter when the Warriors actually went to green at center, that he, you know, he had a, a few possessions where he beasted on Draymond Green. And I, I only remember one, but... I can remember two. Um, There was one where he battled for position, and then there was another one where he got from kind of the outside to the inside. Yeah, that, there was what, the one on the left block where he got pretty good position, and then he really just slammed into Draymond. He actually moved him. You know, Draymond will, will say, you know, th- th- that guys can't move him, and usually they can't, but he really went through Draymond and then got to a nice lefty hook, you know, where he was able to create separation, which he normally can't uh, against that strong base of, of green. Um, and, and he had Aldridge was six out of seven at the rim and then another three of six. So nine of his 11 field goals were in the paint. Uh, and then, you know, didn't really have the jumper working that well, uh, which is a lot of times what kills with him, but he just used his size and strength. And then McGee really, you know, the three or four times McGee tried to defend him in the post really just went terribly. Aldridge just blew by him a couple of times, used his strength to knock him off. I thought really just the force with which Aldridge decided, hey, you know what, these guys aren't going to like take a charge on me. I'm going to go into the, with my shoulder and really get strong and create space, get great position, get to the shots that I want to. Um, and maybe we, if he continues, we might see Pachulia because Pachulia is strong enough to prevent that strategy. Um, but Pachulia didn't play a minute, obviously, in this game. And JaVale had a really nice offensive game. So, I, you know, I think the decision to play him still has paid off. But, you know, despite Aldridge having a really nice game, it was good for me to see that because he's had a wonderful regular season and like he's put in a very difficult position. But when his team was going four out of 28 on threes uh, and a lot of them were created by him, too. But the the Warriors were still doubling a fair amount but still you know the Spurs hit three more threes to even get up to 20 25 percent from three and the Warriors just shoot 40 percent on threes instead of 50 percent or maybe they shoot 48 percent on mid-rangers instead of 52 percent you know we've we've got ourselves a game here and I thought especially their defense in the first half was great uh the one thing I didn't really care for was although Danny Green was negative 26 in 25 minutes and maybe there are things that he's doing that I'm just like, you know, big mistakes that he's making defensively that I'm just not seeing. And that's why Pop, you know, is yanking him around. But, you know, are they going to sign Earl Boykins next to, to guard Clay Thompson? It's been Bryn Forbes and Patty Mills basically guarding him the whole time. And Clay just, whether he's coming off a screen, whether it's a spot up that they can't close out because they're too short, or even getting into the post as he did in the fourth quarter, uh, they can't stop Clay Thompson with that well, size. I- and even even before the first fourth quarter, I think it was in the third when Clay had the first transition post up. I can remember him ever yeah. doing, and he just got in on Patty Mills, and I believe it was a was a foul call. And Thompson is just looking more in his element. San Antonio starting two guards and generally keeping Dejounte Murray off of him. Yeah, the most frustrating part of that, and this was something you articulated on Twitter and in person, was that I understood playing Danny Green on Kevin Durant when those minutes are together Kevin Durant is the Warriors best offensive player in this current alignment Danny Green is the Spurs best defensive player by all means but they were not paired those minutes were not necessarily paired and when Clay was on the floor with the second unit playing nominally the small forward position because they were playing Cook and Livingston together Danny Green was generally not on Clay Thompson and that is indefensible 
yeah i, I didn't really understand that one um the rudy gay actually matched up with kd a lot i thought gay wasn't he had a couple of times where he just didn't get far enough out on the three-point line when kd was coming at him in transition you got to know that that's you know I, I guess kevin durant hitting like the series winning shot on one of those plays wasn't enough to get that on the scouting report especially when you know the warriors shooting is so limited outside of thompson that you really got to load to kd i shouldn't say load but get your heels on the three-point line maybe even further out in transition and make him drive and, and make a play uh gay did have pretty good hands though and the spurs forced a ton of warriors turnovers they turned it over on 28 percent of their possessions seven turnovers in that first quarter um and were well over 20 percent in the first half and then they're able to cut that out in the second half that was a big part of why they were able to get going i mean the, the warriors in the first half were under a point per possession and then they just went absolutely crazy i mean they ended with 116 uh scoring 33 and 36 and what was a pretty slow paced half in the last two quarters so uh i thought the spurs played well the warriors hit some amazing shots they could do a few things a little better strategically but i thought the spurs really cleaned up a lot of the things that just you know pop said it that we played pretty well today and he acknowledged hey we got got to get rudy gay on the floor for more shooting you know slow-mo we took him out just because you know when you have enough guys who aren't great shooters on the floor against this Warriors defense becomes too hard now I probably could have told him that before game one but whatever uh and Murray pretty much got the Keith Bogans also um until the very end he only played 13 minutes again I think the lack of shooting I thought it was also interesting that they started the third quarter the same way they did in game one lots of pick and rolls and I don't know if the Warriors were ready for it or just you know there were some errors or it was a higher intensity level the pick and rolls worked against JaVale game one they did not work they tried four in the first few minutes of the third as the warriors made their initial run and they got absolutely nothing i think it was like three turnovers and a rudy gay three that was reasonably contested from the top of the key um anything else you could say as far as like adjustments here for either of these teams if he's comfortable playing more and that is a gigantic if i would like to see more of manu ginobili i think he is their best creator you know lamarcus aldridge is certainly the alpha and the omega offensively but i trust ginobili to to run their offense more and patty mills hit some shots in this game he ended up with 21 points on 16 field goal attempts uh 18 shooting possessions counting his four free throws but i think manu just creates better looks for them and his size could actually provide some value even if he's not a great defender at this point because the Warriors don't really have unless you put him on Durant which they shouldn't do that many blow by players so maybe you just put him out there and and or even if he doesn't want to play more minutes just shift when they occur and allow him to to do a little bit more with Aldridge and try to beef up the offense during those minutes. yeah 23 minutes for Ginobili I mean man like just thinking back at some of those threes they missed me Manu had three wide open threes in the third quarter that really i thought could have changed the game Berton's a good shooter was one out of six um danny green had his uh, he was over three which was his sum total of shots um yeah i'm not really sure where else they can go at this t- point i mean maybe you just don't start Dejounte murray but i'm just yeah oh i had one other uh, sorry i had one other yeah. adjustment i just don't think Bryn forbes has much of a place in this series yeah. he's too small to guard the twos and he doesn't really provide enough creation at the one so try to try to minimize that and there's part even in a game like this where they weren't switching as much it just seems like forbes there's a knack for finding him even though he's he he's not the smallest guy in san antonio's 
rotation. But actually, I guess he is now with the way things are. But he can get found pretty easily. And so that could be Clay Thompson posted him up a couple times. Durant in game one ended up on Forbes a couple times. I thought he actually should have been more aggressive in those circumstances. And the value added, other than if he's hitting jump shots, which Forbes has not really done in this, is is more limited. So I would be turning in other directions, even if those other directions are somewhat uninspiring. Yeah, you mentioned that, but I'm not sure who they go to. I mean, Manu, 23 minutes. I'm not sure you can play him much more. Forbes is only 14. They need more shooting on the floor, obviously. Uh, Tony Parker only played six minutes in this game. DeJounte only played 13. Uh, I mean, maybe you play Danny Green more than the 25. That that could help you some. Mills was 32. Maybe you bump him up even further. So maybe that's a, that's how you do it. Go to a, a shorter rotation. Um, this is a, a point that occurred to me as we were thinking of, uh, about it. And maybe listeners who have a, a better grasp of Spurs history, like right at, at their fingertips than I do, could weigh in here but you know how like chip england is supposed to be like all oh, this unbelievable like shooting coach uh like who what spur has really just like become some unbelievable shooter who wasn't already like at least a solid shooter coming out of college uh Kawhi obviously is the one that everyone points to right and then tony parker never really developed an above the break three uh solid from the corners solid mid-ranger for sure he became a, a solid mid-range shooter after a long time but who else really other than those two guys has taken some giant steps forward as a shooter like slow-mo god like i mean the two three pointers that he took in this one took forever to get off they're from the corner and neither of them were close uh manu was already a solid enough shooter when he came in danny green was already a solid enough shooter jante murray has made zero progress whatsoever uh and granted they haven't had like a ton of these young guys coming in necessarily but i still don't see like who he has made into this awesome year other than just Kawhi leonard is really the one guy who now and granted that maybe that's enough to for him to be awesome on his own but this idea of like all oh, the spurs their unbelievable player development like i think the hawks actually have done a much better job of making non-shooters into shooters than the spurs have if you want to talk about you know these like great developmental programs yeah and, and- even uh, one of the guys that was just kind of in the back of my mind was whether Boris Diaw took more threes with the Spurs, but I don't think he did. He shot he very well, but on a pretty low volume, you know, in like 2013, right. 2014. But he even did some of that yeah. back when he was on the when he was on Charlotte. I thought he there, there were some times when he took. Some yeah, threes, well, he pretty so. much never ran inside the three point line when he was on Charlotte. He was he was a, a, a little true. corpulent in those days. Um, all right, that's probably enough on that. Unless you you. I guess we'll find out whether, you know, is this going to be a sweep, you think, or is this going to be, you know, at least a five-gamer? One of the key parts of that is just going to be David West's availability. He sprained his ankle early in the fourth quarter, and he they said he was available to return, but sprained ankles, you, you never It really didn't know look too it, bad it on the film. You know, it looked like... Yeah. No, it didn't. It, his reaction was unusual, where it, like he really didn't want to put any weight on it, but then he he did want to come yeah. back. Yeah, I mean, he game. he was able to at so, least like jog back down the floor too. You know, you didn't just like go down for like you know, and they had to totally stop play. So it was uh, it it was like a quick tweak where like, but it like popped back really quickly. I think the ones where number one, how far does it turn? But then like, how long does it stay turned is another issue mm-hmm. sometimes with these. Although oh. I, I still I. I'm not great at telling like what's a severe one and what isn't a lot of times. The other thing we have to bring up more because of its potential long-term than anything <laughs> in this game is the the hostile act flagrant foul Draymond Green got 
on so he claims Davis Bertans put him in a chokehold. I have not seen the full clip yet to to assess that myself. But Green, you know, kind of had it put, put an elbow behind his head and got called for that flagrant foul point. And for those who remember the circumstance, Draymond Green was never suspended for any particular incident. He was not suspended for the Stephen Adams groin kick. He was not suspended for specifically for the the LeBron James incident. It was the accumulation of flagrant foul points and the one that got got forgotten a lot during that time was when he basically tackled Michael Beasley on the last possession of I think that was game three of that series against the Rockets and you know all of them count and I my anticipation is that it won't that we won't get into that accumulation situation again however it doesn't take that much I believe it's five points to have that matter so I'm just a file it away moment for right now but when you have the precedent that we have you definitely want to yeah. mention it and there's also the chance perhaps that uh that could get rescinded based on you know some interviews with the league sure league office it seemed like a pretty borderline call although certainly his reputation precedes him on that all right we'll do a little news here talk about some of these coach firings and openings momentarily but first this from SeatGeek time and money are important and that is what SeatGeek will save you that's why i use them when i get tickets most recently to go to a wizards bucks game in milwaukee i and rather than getting a press pass i i brought my fiance and we got amazing seats fourth row even with the basket for like 100 bucks and it took me absolutely no time to find them because there's this big huge dark green dot right in this section where i wanted to sit because that's the way their technology works they rank every ticket based on value incorporating where it is in the stadium and what the price is so you can immediately find the best deals and they aggregate ticket selling sites together so that you don't have to go to a bunch of different sites and so now that you're not going to a bunch of different sites now that you can just click on the big dot that big green dot and find the best value tickets this is like a 90 second process to find tickets now for sporting events when it used to be 20 minutes 30 minutes sometimes longer than that i would always be one of these people who freaked out about it i have to find the best deal obviously given my analytical personality and now i can just use SeatGeek instead of having to manually do uh, all these processes the way to get started with them use that cap space code easy remember cap space we talk about it all the time in the program and that'll get you 20 dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase when you download the app i know that cap space code get your 20 dollars off your first SeatGeek purchase and then we know that you came from us Let's just catch up on a little bit of the news around these playoff series. You mentioned it, Embiid. Donovan Mitchell was hobbled at the end of that Utah OKC game, but reported that first that he had had an MRI that was clean. Then he's now listed it as questionable for game two with a, a contusion. Looked like Corey Brewer stepped on his foot. So it's one of those things where I think they just, you know, let's see what the swelling is and whether he can manage. But it feels like he's on track to play. San, San Antonio, Kawhi Leonard, of course. I'll just take this one, Danny. You don't have to react at all. Uh, is Hasn't been officially ruled out, but... Uh, Pop first saying that uh, Kawhi hasn't gotten clearance from, quote, his group, which, you know, I wonder why, what is the point of making those statements? Because, I mean, and and the whole his group, oh, that's like one step away from the Phil Jackson posse comments. I I don't necessarily believe in that. You know, I mean, there's advisors, there's a a medical team that he's working with in New York. Uh, So I I didn't take it that way, although I'm uh, admittedly not in the demographic that might be uh, offended by something like that. But 
nonetheless uh, to me the issue with him making those comments is why emphasize this idea that it's not a team decision that he's away from the team that the, the team isn't on board with the, even if they're not like why not just uh, you know you don't have to no comment it but you could just say hey you know what he's not ready so he's not gonna be available tonight you know you can easily deflect that question and you know just say it's and you can even just use passive voice. Just be like, hey, it's felt like you have to say who is feeling it. You say, oh, it's it's felt that he would be best off continuing to rehab in New York. That's like the best place for him. Yeah, everyone knows that, hey, he's uh, there's a little bit of a disconnect between he and the team. And he's working with this group of doctors in New York. And that that group of doctors hasn't cleared him yet. Shams, Shams Sharania, I think it was, had a note on Kawhi that basically hasn't been cleared by that group of doctors yet. And that's fine. I understand that like that's that's who he's working with now they should should clear him that's all seems fine but there's just no reason to emphasize this split and just kind of taking the temperature or when we were talking here there was some reporting that you know the spurs would offer him the designated player veteran extension you know maybe it didn't feel like maybe it was that was as ironclad as it had been you know when that was reported a little bit ago so uh maybe this latest move back to new york and not being around the team maybe that's has given the spurs some additional pause about that but it's still my prediction on this whole saga is still if they don't offer him that extension then yeah, you know, it probably makes sense to trade him. If they do offer him that extension, he'd be a moron not to take it. So he probably should, <laughs> uh, especially coming off of an injury. So I, I think despite all of this i believe that the ball is still in the spurs court because that's just i mean as it was designed to be it's just too much money to turn down it's just a question whether they still feel like they can deal with this uh, uh, this whole thing or not and of course whether he'll in fact be healthy and ready to play uh what else we got here one quick note that is outside of the playoffs but affects a lot of the playoff teams that i found interesting uh eric pincus tweeted today that in a memo to nba teams the league said it has not changed its preseason salary cap projections for either of the next two seasons. So that would be a $101 million cap estimate for next season with a $123 million luxury tax line. And then 108, so that would be a $7 million jump for 2019-20. And that would coincide with a $131 million luxury tax estimate. And of course, as we saw, we saw this last year with so many short series, that is subject to change based on playoff revenue. But it is interesting that neither one of those shifted based on things like jersey ad sales tv revenue or anything like that that it just stayed solid yeah and and that estimate that it's going to go up to 108 the year after next you know i I know that the tv contract goes up to some degree but i'm interested to see what it is that uh results in that estimate also noteworthy that the players actually for the first time in a while are gonna have to give back money via the escrow system this year not that much it's a 20 million dollar overage but basically the players are actually going to get more in salary than their designated share it should be 51 percent. so they actually in the escrow system they get money taken out of their checks that then they either get at the end of the year if the players haven't gotten enough money or if they've gotten too much then it just goes back to the owners and that's what's going to happen although not a hugely significant amount there but that's just indicative of just how wildly the owners have spent that we had this enormous cap jump and one year after that they they are actually paying the players more money than they're supposed to be getting that's just absolutely remarkable that they're able to uh have that cash burn a hole through their pockets that quickly um 
I don't know if we talked about this. Steph Curry with that sprain Sunday uh, or uh, MCL per Shams is targeting a return at some point in the second round he was evaluated three weeks after his injury on saturday so middle of the second round would be you know maybe five six weeks or so that's still pretty early on from what you would normally expect with a grade two mcl which has traditionally been about six to eight weeks you know maybe that's that seems to be going down a little bit these days uh seeing him before games he's ramping up his activity doing some defensive slides some hops just from over and over again uh on that left leg but does not appear still to be moving anything close to, to full speed and of course he'll have to practice take contact and all of that um orlando fired frank vogel in an expected move yeah it's a tough one because there is certainly some sympathy for vogel because orlando's talent never really made a ton of sense you know they had the awkwardness with Serge Ibaka last year. It's not Frank Vogel's fault that they had a bunch of centers and then had Serge Ibaka and then Aaron Gordon, who seemed like the power forward of the future, was largely playing either. He was either going to play the three or not start. And those are both imperfect options. And those sorts of elements are there. But I think the the biggest things are a they changed front offices and when you change front offices it's it's basically an inevitability and then the second part is Vogel's part of his identity as the coach of the Indiana Pacers and those teams won a ton of games was their defense and yes there's absolutely a case to be made that he was put in a tough spot in Orlando and you know certain guys including Nick Vucevic and we've seen that Alfred Payton's defense was uninspiring in Phoenix as well so maybe there's a little bit less there to work with than we thought but the Magic just didn't defend whatever permutation whatever combination was out there they just didn't defend and so that made it harder to justify what to make the similar decision to what Toronto did with Masai Ujiri and Dwayne Casey where they kept him on and I think Dwayne Casey has done a very nice job there yeah for Orlando they are probably one of the less attractive jobs uh, on the market and i think you know we're getting this news now out of new york that they're down to some finalists there's some talk briefly that they had reached out to jeff van gundy per frank isola then of course that was reported that wasn't really the case uh they have no interest in isola has now acknowledged that as well there are at least three candidates i don't know if it's a final three candidates are jerry stackhouse the g league coach for toronto uh, who's gotten a lot of rave reviews there mark jackson and david Vizdale. um very interesting to see i mean jackson if there ever were a team for him to come back to that it would seem like it would be this because it's another young team that kind of needs some confidence and some fire and for all the foils he actually did help to improve their defense whether that was darren Ehrman, whether whether it was jackson whatever the defense did improve under his watch um but we haven't heard a ton of coaching news uh we'll get to one other thing too actually we mentioned it now that uh phoenix has gotten permission to speak to mike budenholzer which uh i had speculated might happen because it's just you know with them rebuilding in in atlanta and budenholzer having lost his president of basketball operations title and a new regime coming in there with some shakeups occurring overall that maybe he would want to move on and you know phoenix probably actually has more talent they're further along crazily in the rebuilding than atlanta is even though they had the worst record in basketball this year so that would be interesting to see what comes of that we haven't heard anything since that was reported late last week but for all of this 
I think we may not see a lot of coaching hires for a while unless they're kind of lesser names for maybe a team like Orlando that uh, you know knows they're not going to get one of the top people in the market because the best open job is the Milwaukee Bucks right now and they haven't even finished their season yet. So uh, I think for some of these top guys, it's going to be like you know the year LeBron James didn't sign uh, until eight days into July and everything else was waiting on him. So I think if that's going to happen with the Bucks job too and then whoever gets that then everything else can settle into place. I mean, why would you, if you're David Fisdale and you think you have a chance at the Bucks jobs, like why would you take the Knicks job right now? You're probably going to tell the Knicks, hey, you know what? Like I, I can't give you an answer right now. So I, I expect a lot of these coaching searches to drag out for longer. My instinct is that one that will not drag out is the Charlotte Hornets, who fired Steve Clifford. And what and part of the reason why is a name that has been floated around there. And I was sitting there going, oh, yeah, that's right. He played for North Carolina as Jerry Stackhouse. Yeah. So they could kind of complete the circle. But Stackhouse is also, I, I think I've seen reports that he's going to interview for the Knicks and also with the Orlando Magic. And he has a connection there because Weltman was involved in the Toronto front office and Jerry Stackhouse has been coaching toronto's g league team the 905 i should mention too i think that david blatt has been reported to be in the mix for he has the the knicks as well he has a connection with mills from what i recall yes yeah they played together in college at princeton but um yeah clifford i mean you could certainly he was fired obviously uh maybe it was one of those things where he was agitating for an extension george carl style and they weren't ready to give him that yet but i would be surprised and they felt maybe hey this is a group we're stuck with this group here our last ditch attempt before we break this group up is let's try and get a new coach in here and see if we can do better i certainly don't think that clifford was the problem i think that they largely overachieved based on their talent level and perhaps it was that very overachievement that eventually sunk him although that 2016 had 16 team had so much more talent uh off the bench than these later additions that have disappointed have are you really though going to do better than steve clifford if you're shot i mean when we've talked about some of these future rankings i think you and i both view charlotte as perhaps the bleakest future of any team in the nba and so this is uh not exactly gonna be that premium of a landing spot any coach worth their medal wow i just garbled an expression but they have to get a clear sense of what's going on with kemba walker because this job completely changes based on what they do with him and there is also just an element of understanding that from a realism perspective because for me if they say oh well we're keeping him then i would be kind of wondering about the front office's standpoint and whether they're realistic i mean you have the changeover with Kupchak, and then if they say we're trading kim walker well then the job probably becomes a lot less desirable Uh, but but you get to coach dwight howard i mean that's gonna be a joy it would be really funny if somehow he ended up like getting traded to phoenix as budenholzer takes over the job there it's not gonna happen but i'm excited uh, kind of go back to clifford briefly because i wanted to mention this point before i forgot it to see with him because i believe he will get another job of what parts of the the definitive characteristics of the Hornets teams this year are just non-negotiable elements of a Steve Clifford team you know the super low turnovers have re- were really more of a staple I think they were a little bit worse on that this year I can't remember that yeah. offhand and you know generally speaking they've done well in defense they've reliably played true centers traditional centers a lot of the time so how much of that is just what Steve Clifford is going to do and how much of that is the circumstances that he was put in by being the head coach of the Hornets with the talent that they yeah uh strong defensive rebounding a, a hallmark although they they certainly have dropped off the last couple of years defensively uh in denver 
Tim Connolly confirmed that Michael Malone will be back next season. Uh, he applauded the team improving by 16 wins uh, in over uh, the two years that he has been the coach and of course pointed to the injuries uh i mean they only had one injury basically this year which was Millsap. uh they were better off when uh <laughs> when plumley was out with that calf injury but um and then Connolly in his exit interview also t- saying that they are hoping to get a new deal done for nikola Jokic uh, as soon as possible uh that it, it always seemed to make sense that he will probably have his team option decline and then be made a restricted free agent and if he doesn't get the max maybe uh, it'll be close to it perhaps the idea is hey you know the deal is we're gonna opt you out but we're gonna do you a favor and pay you a year early so uh at the very least uh, throw us a bone here and don't take the you know the absolute max and they could actually give him a five-year deal uh as a restricted free agent as well so th- that'll be an interesting negotiation you know i'm not sure it's going to be just pure max do player options weigh in how much does it weigh in the fact that they have him under team control for another year at the minimum but then also he could just leave after that year as well and if they force him to play on the minimum th- for the next year he's not gonna be too happy and he might want to leave you know, there, there's there'll be a lot of interesting ones uh, with this one because this is really the first player we've seen in this situation I mean, chandler parsons was one but he wasn't a clear max player at that time you know there's it was known that there would be a cap spike uh when he became a free agent and actually i don't think it was it was suspected at that point in the summer of 2014 but you know it wasn't obvious that he you know was just going to get a max and he's gonna be part of the team's future the way it is with Jokic. uh so he's really the first one to be in this type of a situation uh anything else we got here well, we should mention briefly, considering we already talked about Malone, that Dave Yeager and Doc Rivers will return to their respective teams next year. Both those guys are under contract, so it's not as, you know, as big a surprise. But, I mean, both those teams could be making adjustments either in or after next season, even though I think we both feel that Doc Rivers did a wonderful job last year. Yeah, he did. I mean, he only has one year left on that five-year deal that he signed, uh, which was based, I think, $7 million a year. Of course, that initially included being president of basketball operations that title was stripped from him last summer so he's got one year left on that i think that was just reporting you know i don't think the team specifically said he will return uh so maybe that could change if there's another job that opens up for rivers but yeah i mean mark stein made some good points about you know he's in la he's making a lot of money his son is there you know so it's kind of yeah he's only got one year left on his deal and you know i think it actually would make more sense for all parties to not necessarily extend it or maybe just give him like a one-year you know kind of more token extension it always amuses me though and it's like oh coach is like you can't let him be a lame duck going into the season like like why is a coach any different than a player like you wouldn't tell a say hey here's a player that we're uncertain on his performance and whether we want him to come back oh let's just give him an extension because because you know what he'll play better or you know and there's this idea that oh like the coach players won't play for a lame duck coach but you know they i don't think that there's any actual real evidence that that is true that's just sort of a myth that coaches would love to perpetuate because it leads to them getting more money in other news there are going to be some minor tweaks to the revenue sharing formula which uh, zach Lowe reports will change the equation significantly for at least one to two teams but the broader revenue sharing system will remain in place i mean one of those uh, you'd have to imagine maybe sacramento you know they've kind of paid their penance because uh, part of the deal of them staying in sacramento was that they wouldn't accept revenue sharing the thunder somehow have been paying into revenue sharing you know and they have a big luxury tax bill coming so uh, that's that's something that maybe uh, we don't know 
exactly what the formula is but those are two that come to mind or philly has actually i think been getting revenue sharing at some point recently and and maybe they looked at the formula like hey you know what like you got the number four market in the u.s like i don't care how bad your team is and how little money you're making you're not getting revenue sharing no so so maybe it's some stuff uh, along those lines but overall it seems to be the same type of system and uh i think that's about all we've got here so uh we'll be back tomorrow twitter nba show probably kick it up for uh the raptors game second half which is on nba tv and then we'll go through hopefully the entire evening uh anything you want to talk about before we go I'll just promote, since it was released at this point, I did a segment on Shaq's podcast. I think it's the big podcast with Shaquille O'Neal talking about the playoffs. I enjoyed that. I think it's about 10 minutes. And we also talked about, he asked me a question which I hadn't really considered before, which was, will Harden be a unanimous MVP? And so it was fun to kind of answer that on the fly. And he was a very appropriate person to talk with about that because of Shaq's history with almost unanimous MVPs. All right, that'll do it for today. Don't forget about our sponsor, SeatGeek. Use that Capspace code to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And uh, follow me on Periscope at Nate Duncan NBA. You can uh, ask us questions, anything that's been, anything you disagree with in the pod, feel free to excoriate us about it and that's really probably the best possible chance to interact with us is in the the chats on those periscopes during commercials uh and also listen to us do some play-by-play because uh you know i i hear people in my mentions every once in a while kind of complaining a little bit about the broadcast so uh here's your chance to improve uh we hope at least and get a little bit more uh, analytical approach to uh, these broadcasts talk to y'all next time at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.